tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. There can be few cinematic genres that benefit more from the power of score than horror. And with it and It Chapter 2, writer-director Andy Machetti and composer Benjamin Wolfish have nailed it. So it's a pleasure to welcome Andy onto our latest episode of Soundtracking, the weekly film music podcast with me, Edith Bowman. Reflecting the shape-shifting abilities of Pennywise the Clown, Benjamin has produced a soundscape which Andy describes as bendy that switches in an instant from the safe and dreamy to something altogether more dark and twisted. And Pennywise himself appears in a track or two as well, including this one, Dirty Little Secret. Welcome to Soundtracking. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Because um, music is a big part of both of these films. It's massive. Massive part. But yeah. before we get into the music, um, I just wanted to touch on, on the film, uh, both films actually, and congratulate you on, on Chapter 2. Um, what was wonderful about going into it was that in preparation, I went back and watched the first film. And <laughs> it's, you know, it's only a couple of years ago, but it was so, what a great... Great film to go back and relive, to be honest. I think that's how everybody should go into chapter two. Absolutely, yeah. The fresher they have, you know, the, the first the chapter one in their in their minds and in their hearts, the the I think the the most gratifying experience will be uh, of watching chapter two. Feels like me. You've almost mm. created your own sort of subgenre in terms of it's the it's the double H for me. It's heart and horror because there is so much heart in this film as well as the horror, but laughs as well. Yeah. That's what's wonderful. Is that easy to write? Well I'll tell you what, you know, life is made of all of that. And this is a story, it's a life story. I know there's a super supernatural element to it. Uh but Stephen King uh knows <laughs> what life is made of. He's a great observer of life, of characters of people, of their psychology, and uh, and he throws everything. He throws a sink in every story. And I think, you know, I grew up, like, reading his books. Yeah. I'm very influenced. As a storyteller, I'm very influenced uh, 
by him and and his way of of storytelling. So for me, it comes uh, it comes natural. What was the first Stephen King book you read? Pet Cemetery. And was that I, I read as well that because Barbara's a little bit older than you, that she was like, I read them first, then you get them. No, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, but with with this huge book that he wrote, which you've based these two films on, did you know going into that first film, the dream was to have these two parts to it? That you were always yeah. going to make the second film. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can't you can't start like telling a story without at least uh, having a notion of where you're going. And the second part is not a sequel. The second part is a second half yeah. of the story and a conclusion of a story, even though it's like 27 years in the in the future. But yeah, of course, details and story construction and everything was very blurry mm-hmm. when, when I was doing the first one. So the, the construction of the second one was a, was a blur that should be like addressed later. But I left a few curtains or windows open mm-hmm. in the first one just to pick them up in the second one. So I didn't know exactly what would what would be, but you know, just it's like throwing a ball in the in the air, to yeah. <laughs> throwing a ball forward to pick it up later. And <clears throat> and that happens, you know, when uh when Beverly at the end of the of the first movie, she says, uh, "I saw us all together, uh our parents' ages, and we're all in the cistern." That is an open window. Yeah. I didn't know what I would do with that, but it was like very useful for me to pick it up and w- working with the with the writers, uh, we basically determined that you know uh, her being in the deadlights and her having a vision of the future uh, could allow us to basically uh, have a, a clause, almost like a, a, a you know a narrative uh, device that actually m- make the the losers stay in town, which is something in the book is a little looser, you know. Yeah. The the losers stay in town, but you, you never like quite find out why, why, because they could like turn around, turn around, and yeah. just get the fuck out of here, yeah. like like Richie says. I'm gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's get the fuck out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah. Before this ends up worse than one of Bill's books. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how with the second, with the first film, you held back from having that kind of time jump thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you kept it really pure to this child. Mm-hmm experience and then the second film allows you to really explore mm-hmm. how their memory's been affected by trauma and how they mm-hmm. don't remember things but mm-hmm. but by being together and almost igniting those memories mm-hmm. things were actually different in certain ways and shapes and forms so clever yeah thank you thank you very much it's, it's you know it's a teamwork uh, <laughs> i worked with gary doberman on the script of course based on on, on stephen king's uh, exceptional uh, book but with Gary, we did uh, you know some construction, and then with Jason Fuchs later, yeah. the other screenwriter, that really took us to you know he was there all, all through production, and it's a constant discovery, you know, and yeah. your your story grows and grows and grows, and you're, you know you're lucky that you only have like four months <laughs> or three months before the movie starts, you know, because otherwise it would 
keep going. Keep re- refining itself, refining itself. That's amazing. So almost that deadline helped in a way in terms of like, we got to start shooting this. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, but once you start shooting, you, you keep on, on changing the story, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and you discover things. And even as a director, I like uh, keeping, being open. Uh, I, I'm a storyboarder, so I'm a, like uh, obsessive about shots and, yeah. and, and framing and, and blocks, blocking a scene. But more and more, I'm I'm open to what's going on in the scene on the day, um, and being open to to changes or things that I wasn't expecting, and things that actually improve. Mm-hmm. Not only can improve the scene, but also can have a ripple effect on the rest of the story. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a yeah, being attentive to that is is what makes I, I think a good director, and and I'm, it's a learning curve. You listen and you feel things as they're happening. Yeah. It's important. With music, when you were writing the first one, was, was it really obvious to you as to the role that music would have in the film, both in terms of using Benjamin for the score, but using those fantastic needle drops, be it that Young yeah. MC track or whatever, you know what I mean? Kind of all those different things. Yeah, uh, like finding the music for for, for the movie, uh, the soundtrack, I mean, the score, as well as like needle drops was, all, was always a lot of fun for me. <laughs> the emotional impact of, 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 of the scenes, of, the, of a sequence of a movie is so dependent on the, on the score. And I, want, uh, I wanted, uh, you know, a score that could get you there. That could take the audience on a journey, but like basically, like you know, melt their heart if it's necessary. Be sentimental at points, uh, which is the probably hardest thing, mm-hmm. you know, for us. Like emotional, for us, like different, different, different thing. Different, different music means different things to us. So it's hard to it's hard to cali- calibrate that uh, when you're talking with a with a with a composer. But we found our middle ground with with. Uh, with Ben Wolfish, who is, uh, you know, he's a genius. Conversations you had with him in terms of when that you know when that first meeting in terms of you know I want you to do this film. What were the conversations that you had about I don't know the inspiration or the or how you envisaged that soundscape to be? Well, there was a lot of you know references that I have that mean a lot to me. Eric Satie uh, mm-hmm. has a lot of you know of, of, of bring a lot of emotions. To me, uh, not not necessarily like uh, warm emotions, but uh, emotions of, of weirdness and mm-hmm. and uncertainty.
That's why when you hear um, uh, 27 Years, which is the opening piece, uh, which is actually the, the piece that, that Georgie Mum is playing on the piano, It's magical and mysterious. It's uncertain, you know. It's like it puts you in a place where reality and fantasy have a blurry line that yeah. separates them. And it's exactly what happens, you know. It's like in that that sequence, we see Georgie going into the to the basement, believing that there's a monster in the basement, and he's not real. What's 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 true and what's not? Mm. And it's a theme that sort of happens in the rest for the, in the rest of the movie. That's why that theme is reprised, yeah. reprised over and over. It's such a clever way of the audience physically affecting them in a way as well. You hear yeah. that because music does that. Music has that physical thing with you. Oh, absolutely. And I think like, you know, it, it all comes from somewhere. Like I, I, I think in the past, uh, listening to uh, Maurice Jarre's um, soundtrack of uh, Jacob's Ladder, the, the movie opens with that Satie-esque theme that is like, it, it's like, it's a progress, it's, it's chords, it's like a scale that just like, immediately puts you in a in a state of uh, of a dreamlike uh, uncertainty mm -hmm. and, and a journey That's the thing that you know. It's it's like it's, it's imprinted in my in my, in my heart. And when when it comes to, and I did it in Mama too, working with Fernando Velasquez, I referenced that 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 Satie-esque feeling. And when the I don't know if you saw Mama, mm -hmm. when you have the family, these like when Nikolai Kostrovalo is like roaming around in the after having the car accident and has no fucking idea where they're going. He's like roaming around with these like two children. They're three and one year old. 
and there's like for, uh, on one hand there's like uncertainty of what they're what, how they're gonna end up yeah. confusion but also there's so, there's something magical and mysterious which is they're walking into the realm of, uh, of something supernatural and that music's almost the cardio isn't it that's the wonderful and that, and thing and the music is what carries th yeah. that There's an amazing piece um, of score in the first film where where she's in the bathtub, she's reading the card, and then the voices. The journey uh -huh. of A, that character, but that piece of score. Yeah. In the space of maybe 45 seconds or something is incredible. I know, I know. There's a concept of shape-shifting that that we took with Ben. We talked a lot about it. Like, you know, uh, it is a shape-shifter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the music is a shapeshifter too, because you know, especially this this movie, this narrative that nothing nothing is what it looks like. You know, Pennywise is a trickster, so it shows you something that bends into something else. And the music is very bendy, also in in our movie. You mm -hmm. know.
Actually, I think the, the piece that you reference uh, just mm, melts into, yeah. into something darker. Yeah. It's very, very, you know, warm and, and, and sweet. Yes, yeah, love, and suddenly, love letter, and then suddenly oh, it's like... It it's, bends into yeah. something darker. second movie something similar happens when Jessica Chastain Beverly adult Beverly is, is reading the postcard mm -hmm. and suddenly the camera like finds a new position and we see the old lady at the <laughs> at the end of the hallway yeah and the music also like it's very sweet and then it's <laughs> it bends There's another bit as well where um, Eddie is being chased out the outside the house kind of thing, and there's yeah. almost a kind of like almost like a kind of beat thing yeah, to it, which is really I, really it's great. So brutal, and it's like you know something that I wanted to bring, and I know where that is coming from. That comes from the Entity, which is a movie that I love. Uh, I haven't seen that one. The Entity is uh, is Barbara Hershey. It's based on a real, uh, a true story about a woman who was, uh, who claimed to be raped by an entity, by an invisible uh, spirit or demon. Yeah, it's based on, on, on that. And apparently, like, there's very weird things happen. Like, you know, it was not only her, but also her, her son was also, like, attacked uh, and his arm was broken. Anyway, so that movie was made in, like, if, I think it was 81 or something, mm -hmm. or 82. And... The score was brutal. The score, the theme of the of the entity was, 
I never heard something so relentless and scary. <laughs> and it was a simple, you know, it's a, it was a guitar. It was an electric guitar that was, that kept going and going. I took that that imprinted me when I first saw the movie. I was like, I, "This is blowing my mind." <laughs> I, I knew that. Uh, I know that Tarantino used it again on uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. Bastards. Yeah, but it's, it's something that when I saw the movie, it's like, "This is something I've never seen, never heard something like this. I never will again." Because it's <laughs> so raw and so brutal that it's like. So I tried to sort of recreate that energy. with when you're choosing those needle drops though is mm -hmm. that is that your personal choice is it how, yeah how does it... most of them are, are are songs that mean something to me yeah and uh, and they depend on the on the mood of the scene uh and the the time where the scene uh takes place of course you know being in the 80s uh i considered a lot of of tunes from the 80s but i didn't want to go to the early 80s because you know it's a story that happens in 89 mm -hmm. Which you saw, it's like it's a weird, like awkward uh, transition from the '80s to the '90s. I so. loved it. I can, I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it was, it sort of like started like like defacing a little bit of that of that ex expressionism that the '80s have that was yeah. so cheesy but so powerful. Yeah, it's not Pat Benatar anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. now it's something else. It's like yeah. Debbie Gibson or. So I really annoyed the guy that I was sat next to um, it, when I because I, I rewatched the first one and I was just watching the end of it before I went into the film and um, I was singing along to the new kids in the block and all that kind of thing. <laughs> it was like really annoying people with all that kind of stuff as well. But it is. That's I was the, never. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about the, the song choices that the you know the, the memory is such a big part of the story. Yeah. It, as a film fan, you're watching it and it suddenly yeah. clicks in a memory of your own. Yeah, which can be yeah. scary sometimes, particularly oh, yeah. when it's New Kids on the Block. I was never a fan of New Kids on the Block, mm -hmm. but I know that they existed in that in those years, and the kids like like those could yeah. like, easily like fall for them. <laughs> Whoa. 
listen up, everybody, if you want to take a chance. Just get on the floor to the new kid's dance. Don't worry about nothing, because it won't take long. We're going to put you in a trance with our funky song. Because you got to be. But I like, you know, the, the fact that it was mainly, you know, attracted to, you know, a band that was, because it's a boy band, yeah. it was more attracted to girls, but <laughs> Ben uh, loves them and he's, he's he's a little embarrassed. I love it. She just opens the door for oh, the me door. the posters on the <laughs> yeah, back that was of a great, that was a great joke. Posters. There's so many posters in the film, which I, I loved as well. Mm -hmm. So... Lost Boys, Michael G. Fox. I had Michael G. Fox <laughs> on my wall. You've got mail as well. It's kind of all oh, these little yeah. things yeah. that, and I, I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but, um, and we're, we're putting this out a week after the film's out. So, you know, mm -hmm. because we're so, mm -hmm. we don't want any spoilers for anyone as well, yeah. but Stephen King makes a cameo and um, his T-shirt that he's wearing <laughs> in the film is Neil Young Harvest T-shirt. Am I right? It is, yeah, yes. you're, you're right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Such was, a geek, I noticed that. Was that his thing. choice or your choice? No, here's the funny thing. So we gave, you know, is I, I, I'm talking to the costume designer, and I said, well, let's let's bring some something that is like rock and roll for someone like you know, like like that character could be good, and also like, well, you know, Neil Young, you know, he's like quoted in the in on it the book like yeah. a thousand times. So it comes the day on the day of the shoot, we come and we gave him the T-shirt, and he's like. Ah, uh, I don't like Neil Young. <laughs> Never liked him. Never liked his music. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. Because in the book, you know, there's so much. But anyway, that's a matter. But I'll use it. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll wear, wear it. it. I'll wear it. It's fine. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. But yeah, there's, uh, you know, other, you know, every, every song has a, has a story. Every song that you hear, and chapter one has like more, more needle drops. You know, the ones that are more personal are probably the cult, yeah. uh, the love removal machine at the beginning and uh, six different ways in, in the second, uh, in the, sorry, in the scene with, um, uh, where they're cleaning the blood. The Head on the Door for me was a, was a very important uh, record, you know, album, like growing up. And, and Six Different Ways was a, such weird and beautiful. And I didn't, I, I didn't remember that because I hadn't, hear, I hadn't heard that song in so long. Yeah. Because it's not a, it wasn't a hit, you know, from that, from, from that album. Uh, but I heard it so many times when I was like, you know, in my <clears throat> I was like 11 or 12 or whatever. Now probably a little older, like 13. And You're it was putting Kim. your memory in there. Yeah. yeah, and it was Kim Kim Baum who was who was in the in the music uh, team of uh, of of, um, of the movie. Uh, she's a connoisseur. She's incredible, and she brought me this. Well, how about six different ways? And I'm like, what? Wow. Oh my God! This song, <laughs> I remember, and it fits so well, but it also it's so weird. Yeah.
But uh, the weirdness that Robert Smith has, you know, with his voice, very particular. It takes you to a very, like, beautiful but weird uh, mood. And it's also, it's six different ways, which is, you know, the losers are six boys, six different ways uh, of loving Beverly. They all love, they're all attracted by Beverly in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So it was very relevant to that. And it's a scene where, like, Ben watches, you know, Beverly and Bill are bonding and it's so sad. Yeah. And it's great. And and it's funny how, you know, I wanted to to use that song and blend it into or or an, or an orchestra. Yeah. And you see how like six different ways suddenly turns into score. Mm -hmm. Uh and you know, it wasn't easy and uh you know, given more time we probably have could have done like more things, but you know, it still works. Before we finish, there's a couple of bits yeah. of score in particular from from chapter two that I wanted to to pull out as well, which is is that scene where he's shouting "Why him? Why him? Why him? Why oh, him?" Oh yeah, yeah. I was sobbing <laughs> at that point. Oh, that's yeah, that's uh, <sighs> oof. It's very it's very dramatic and it's very emotional because it, it brings like everything that is wrong with uh, in Bill's heart, mm. you know, which is he feels guilty for. Well, he, not yet, but of course there's something inside that tells, that is telling him, you know, he, he's dead because, because you didn't care about, you didn't care for him. funny because with Ben Wallfish he had a version of that song that has a chord that I don't like you know I, I'm musical I'm not a composer or any, or anything but I'm musical and there's like when I there's something that I don't like I, I can yeah, identify and there it. was a chord that I was just completely unempathic to me it didn't like add to the emotion it's just like yeah. like step on a, on a different direction and Ben like completely understood it he doesn't he didn't feel that that yeah. chord was ugly but he got me Yeah. Totally got me and he said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. And Ben is fantastic, you know, he's like such a patience working with me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so he redid it and now I, I can live with that without saying, oh, that chord! I don't <laughs> like that chord! <laughs>
it's, 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 it's difficult. The music you can't describe the it, though. It's a physical thing. It kind yeah. of kind mm-hmm. of makes you feel slightly disjointed in a way. <laughs> totally. I think that score is uh, uh, some variation of, of the Georgie theme. Yeah. Uh, that, that is so emotional in the first one. Thank you so much for your time and congratulations. Oh, of course. On the Let film. me just like at the end, like that. My last anecdote yeah. of the uh, Neil Drop, probably like I'm, I'm missing some, but we have a, a love removal machine at the beginning. Yeah, we've been looking for a lot. You know, we were trying songs there. Yeah, and somehow they didn't work. But I wanted to like raise the energy of that moment of the kids coming out of the uh, of school with this music that is not even incidental. It's just like it's coming from where where is coming from. It's just a song. And we were still on the quest because nothing quite worked to get the energy uh, uh, there. And one day I'm hanging with my friend, uh, my, uh, a, a friend, one of my friends in LA, and he and he tells me, "Oh, so he invites me to this concert, and he's friends with Ian Asbury from the Cult, mm-hmm. and he's there uh, with his wife, and he, uh, we, uh, we we're introduced and." Yeah, the, the night was great. We were going to see a Sigur Ross concert, and at the end of the night, I'm like, "The cult, of course." <laughs> so two days later, I try the I try the song, and it works perfectly. And it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things that you know, it's like, how did I, didn't I think of that? Yeah. I had a band when I was like 18, 17, and we used to like cover the cult, uh, the cult, <laughs> yeah. and that that song in particular. So you know, I guess I. I didn't. It wasn't a, a, a hidden drawer in my in my in my heart. I love how as well that shows a sign that you're never not working. You're always thinking about the film, yeah. even when you're out with friends at a concert. You're always thinking about it. And yeah. um, I hope we can chat again for your next project. But congratulations! It's great, great to meet you. Thanks, Adam. Oh, Cheers. thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much.
soundtrack to it, that's Love Removal Machine by The Cult, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Andy Machetti. A huge thanks to Andy for taking the time to talk to us. It Chapter 2 is on general release around the world now and is well worth watching. Back to back, I would suggest, with the first film. Benjamin Wolfish's Bendy score, meanwhile, is available via Warner Brothers. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And don't forget, we now have a YouTube channel where we'll put up anything that doesn't quite fit in the podcast, such as my chat with Werner Herzog at the Sheffield Dock Festival. Next up sees the return of Killian Murphy alongside Peaky Blinders director Anthony Byrne. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 